Hey everybody, welcome to We Talk Photo, our podcast about landscape and nature photography. I'm one of your hosts, John Peterson, and my other host, Jack Graham, is still on sabbatical, so I'm flying solo today. Uh, I'm firmly ensconced in the world headquarters of John Peterson Photography, which happens to be the office in the back of my house. and trying to practice social distancing and sequestration as best as I can and uh, staying out of the public eye. So going a little bit stir-crazy, but, you know, I think uh, everybody is to a point, and we're all sort of doing our part to stay safe and sound during this uh, interesting time in our lives. You know, normally we do a little bit of news, uh, you know, photography industry-related news, and uh, I think today I'm going to skip that because there's not a lot of big news happening out there. You know, Fuji, they're, they delay the X-T4 a little bit. Sony's got some interesting improvements coming down the way. Nikon mirrorless is still going strong. I mean, the, you know, you guys can catch up on that stuff. Read, uh, read the standard websites, and uh, we won't really talk about it here. Because I'm more interested in introducing my guest for this episode. It's a gentleman that I've, I say that loosely, uh, <laughs> a guy that I've known for many, many years. Um, Gary and I kind of came up together uh, in, in the industry a long time ago and uh, really excited to finally get him on the show. He's a busy man. And uh, so with that, I'm going to welcome Mr. Gary Randall to the show. Hello, Gary. Hi, John. Thanks for asking me out. I appreciate it. <laughs> you bet. I mean, what else are we going to do uh, <laughs> stuck inside? you got a captive audience here. Yeah, yeah, that you we know. do. So you and I have known each other for, I don't know, 15 plus years, I think. Yeah, yeah it's got to be 15 at least, yeah. Yeah. Somewhere around there, yeah. Way back when, when Flickr first started and a bunch of the Oregon photographers started jumping on that and meeting together and... The halcyon days. Yeah, yeah. The good old was, days. The innocent of... days of digital photography before the the masses jumped in and started making it what it is today. It's, it was completely different back then, completely. Seemed to be completely innocent, simple processing techniques, uh, still uh, reminiscent of shooting film, no matter, you know, no more than maybe a couple years before that, and you know, totally different nowadays. So, yeah. Yeah, it sure feels totally different. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I look back fondly on those days. It was very innocent. And uh, I don't know if that was naivete on our part. I mean, you ask people older than us, like Jack or, you know, John Shaw or any of these other people, and, you know, their innocence was very different than ours. But that was kind of our, our beginning out stomping through the forests of Oregon. Well, in digital photography, I went through kind of the same thing when I got into film photography, and I hate to even say, around 1976, and uh, was going into the dark room and learning from the old guys. You know, it was it was it was a hobby. It, it wasn't uh, something that had a lot of pressure, and uh, I kind of think that we've gone through digital photography and through a progression of going from that kind of an attitude towards one where we where we really need to be professionals and we really need to try to figure out how to do this in a, a business-like manner, you know. Promotion, you know, through um, marketing means and things like that, and most of them we don't understand because they weren't around a year ago. It's like it's right. this total 
progression of marketing techniques and the internet moves so fast as soon as you learn one thing it seems like it at least changes if it doesn't be oh, if it it's not re- replaced it by something else so yeah, yeah it, it, it's just techniques. more hectic now different motivation is you know it's just different but you know i'm um you know i'm not really one that's uh that's uh forgetting about why i'm i'm in this because i really was started with a different motivation completely you know and uh, so, it, so yeah. with that though gary i mean what, for those people that don't know you uh, which is hard to believe but but there's some <laughs> folks out there who might not have heard of you why don't you I give everybody a, a quick synopsis of uh, of who you are Ah. ah, well, let me see. I'm, uh, my name is Gary Randall. I live, um, almost on Mount Hood. So I live east of Portland, Oregon, around 60 miles east of Portland, up in the woods on the Sandy River next to Mount Hood. And I'm only about an hour drive from, uh, the heart of the Columbia River Gorge. And so I've had, uh, I've been fortunate that uh, I, I live in an area that's conducive to amazing photography, uh, landscape photography. So I do this full-time. I've been doing this full-time for almost 20 years. My business has changed from photography and graphic artwork uh, because the photography was uh, different. The professional side of my photography was different back then. It had little to do with the landscape. Now it's... Uh, including the landscape photography that I do. Back then, I was pushing uh, professional services like uh, um, portraiture, you know, weddings and uh, senior portraits and stuff like that, and also real estate. And uh, really, the only part that's really um, carried through with me is I'll do a, a few weddings, um, but I'm pretty picky about those. Um, but, uh, very few portrait sessions nowadays, it seems, but my landscape photography has kind of taken that stuff over. And so I do this full time. Um, and, uh, it's, it's been good. I, I'm, uh, I'm not sure what else to say about myself, you know, but that's, that's pretty much me. I, you know, I get up every day. I, I live and breathe photography and, uh, that's just part of me. That's what I do. So. Yeah. yeah, and you know, for as long as I've known you, it's been a, it's been a part of you, which is uh, I think kind of why you and I have gravitated together so well. And but I got to say, you know, you're you're a braver man than I continuing to do um, weddings because <laughs> boy, I've shot a couple of them and I I will not yeah. do that again. A lot of work. I mean, that's the 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 most work that I ever do. Um, well, maybe besides a, a maybe a, a physical four day workshop someplace, maybe that's a lot of work. But it's a different kind of work, you know. But that's the probably the most work in any kind of a, a photography project that I've ever done are weddings. And so I've decided that I would uh, elevate my prices to a point to where if I do get a, a wedding project, that it's going to be worth it for me to do. So, worth it. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, for me, it was kind of the antithesis of landscape photography where shooting landscapes, it's yeah. slowing down, you know, and I yeah. may come home from the shoot with 10 images, 15 images. You come home mm-hmm. from a wedding and you got 1500 images yeah. and you got to process all of them. I yeah. don't, I don't batch process. I do one at a time and, and well, yeah, I just can't do the wedding thing well, at all. For weddings, um, I divide it into, uh, two different, um, processing sessions one is 
uh, one deals with the more candid photos of uh, the crowd, people preparing for the wedding, things like that. They don't really take a whole lot of processing. Uh, a few minor adjustments, and you're typically good to go in Lightroom. And then uh, I, um, I'll take the formals, what I consider formals. Those are the ones that we pose for. And those are the ones that I'll spend more time with because there's going to be uh, um, a better chance that those will be used in a frame, you know, mat- uh, mounted on the wall as a as a more formal photograph. And so that's kind of how I deal with that. So right. sorting, thank goodness for Lightroom because I know <laughs> it was a pain before Lightroom came along. That's yeah, for sure. It so. was. So you know you're you're kind of known, or at least in my head, you're known as as one of the experts around uh, around the Mount Hood area and then the Columbia River Gorge. And you really you've really kind of carved out a niche in a way for yourself in those areas. I mean, you because you're so close. I'm mm-hmm. you know I'm an hour from the gorge too, but you that's really your stomping grounds. That's that's where you. Well, spent I've spent most of my life there, including part of my childhood, and I've lived there. I've lived in the Columbia, Columbia Gorge at Bridal Vale, and uh, I've just lived all around Mount Hood. I've lived in the Columbia or the uh, Hood River Valley. I've lived here on the south side of Mount Hood. And I've lived in the gorge, and so I just know the area, and I know places that uh, aren't necessarily the more common places that people frequent. And so, when people take a, especially a um, a private workshop from me, then we usually uh, hit some more unique areas and stuff around Mount Hood, Mountain Hood National Forest, and the Columbia Gorge. So, yeah, I think it's my familiarity. You know, I don't feel uh, I don't feel right taking people or uh, doing a workshop in an area that I'm not completely familiar with. Yep. So, yep. yep I yeah. hear you. Yep. That's what. Uh, that's kind of one of my rule of thumbs too. Is is being yeah. very familiar with an area. And it took me five years of going to Alaska before I finally decided to host a workshop up there. Yeah. And my wife has lived up there for twenty years, and so. You know, again, familiarity. You know, it and helps. That, sure, sure that, helps to plan it out. So it it does help plan, and it it I think it really brings a more quality product to the clients that that come with you. When well, you're your very clients, familiar with it, your clients come to you so that they're not. And that's one of the motivations that a, a workshop client, especially a private workshop client, uh, has when they hire you. They don't want to come out and try to figure where this stuff is, figure out where the stuff is. They want to come out. They want to hire you. They would like for you to take them out and make hay, you know, take them to the good spots, uh, try to get out there at the right time and uh, and make hay and not waste time. And so... Um, I think it's important to be able to know ahead of time where you're going to go, have some unique spots to go to. So, yeah. And not, not to mention the, uh, besides just the local knowledge of where to go, it's the it's the um, instruction that happens out in the field, and especially especially for folks that are coming yeah. to us that aren't used to shooting lush green forests and these dramatic waterfalls, yeah. and you know, it's yeah. you know the the instructions that we can provide to them. I think. Uh, well, it's true. Uh, absolutely, John. And that's another component uh, of it is that uh, if you have a, a nice portfolio of images from that area, that's certainly going to make a difference. So, yeah. So, what you is know, because oh. that, that's another motivation for people to hire you a lot of times is to uh, for you to show them how in the world did you do that? You know, 
So your processing methods, uh, your shooting methods out in the field and stuff like that. So, yeah, you're right. Instruction is definitely a motivation. That's a key thing. What is it about, you know, if you were to describe the gorge to, to those that haven't been there, how, how would you do that? Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I tell people it's primal. It's uh, it's just a, like a primal rainforest. Uh, it's, it's something that... Uh, you would see in some sort of a fantasy dream, especially if the conditions are right. I, it's, um, I just tell people that it's like a, uh, uh, a primitive primal rain, moss filled rainforest, you know, yeah. and you know, it's, I, it's, I've used the word I also tell and primal and yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like Jurassic park or something, you know? And, um, I tell people, I can kind of describe it to people, but I also make sure that I, uh, preface it with uh, the point that they really need to experience it. Otherwise, they won't be able to understand unless they really stand there in the middle of this forest with all of this moss on a, a misty day and you've got this beautiful scene in front of you. I mean, I've had people literally come to tears um, in certain situations in the gorge. People get emotional um, sometimes if they're excited about photography and you're out there at the right time in a place that they've never been and it's just everything lines up, people get emotional about it. I mean, landscape photographers and artists are emotional people anyhow. Indeed. But, yeah, the gorge pulls that from you. Uh, uh, the gorge just evokes these emotions and feelings when you're out there, you know. Well, I think it touches, a, to your point, using the word primal, it touches kind of a primal nerve in us in a way because it's so True. amazingly beautiful. And I think the other yeah. point I was going to make about the gorge, too, is you've never seen so many different shades of green as what you see in the gorge. It's absolutely. just absolutely incredible. So what is it that... Yeah, yeah. You, and and uh, because of... Because of that uh, sing singularity in color, sometimes it's difficult for people to understand how to photograph it. So, yes, you know. and yeah. and to simplify a very messy, you know, it's kind of like going up to the to the Olympic National Park as well. Is anytime you're photographing yeah. a really lush forest, is how do you simplify the scene and make yeah. sense of all the chaos that we're seeing in this lush forest? And it can yeah. be challenging. Well, it's, that's a method that I use in any composition. And if you look at my work, very rarely do I use a ultra wide angle lens on a on any kind of a territorial view for sure. But typically, a wide angle lens I use by getting close to my subject in the forest, and that separates that little area out of this whole chaotic situation. And so, the the best way is to simplify your composition, find certain components that line up right, separate everything else. You know. Yep. So, yeah. And, yeah. you know, with a wide angle, that's what we always say. Get low and cram the foreground in or shoot, yeah. a, shoot a more of a telephoto lens. And, and that way you can isolate yeah. and simplify things, which is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, the, my, I use a heck out of my 24 to 70. Yeah. You know, I really do. Yeah. So a lot of people insist on shooting with the uh, ultra wide angle, especially those that are just getting in landscape photography. It seems like that's the first thing they want to do: go out and grab that ultra wide angle lens and shoot everything. So, but it's a it's a progression. You you know you'll get those photos home and you realize that uh, you took this beautiful view of Mount Hood and Mount Hood looks like a pimple on the horizon. Exactly. So you'll have to use a different lens. So you know, I can't, I can't you know, remember it's the, all. A, oh, yeah. Go ahead. 
No, that's okay. Go ahead. I was going to say, I can't remember the last time I used my ultra-wide angle. And instead, you know, I can remember the last time I used my 100 to 400 to do landscape work. Yeah. You know, I've been using well, that more my, and more. And, and you're right, though. It is yeah. a progression. Yeah, I, I like my 70 to 200. I like to stand and hand-hold that and then pick out different scenes or different parts of a scene, typically at a distance. Uh I was in Denali photographing just the drainages on the sides of the mountains and stuff up there, and it it was just fun to do. I was just sitting there and just snapping different parts of the the scene, and it it was fun. And I got some pretty cool uh, semi abstract landscape photos from it yeah. too. So I mean, I, I kind of refer to it as sort of intimate nature sometimes when you when you're really yep. isolating just a small component of the overall landscape is you're just yep given just a glimpse into this scene and, and i think that brings more intrigue and more interest often oftentimes to the image so but certainly gives the viewer the photograph a little bit more of a impactful photograph an easier photograph to look at their eyes aren't dodging all over the place to try to figure out what in the worlds they should be yeah. focusing on in the scene you can more carefully craft your composition to be able to uh, be a, uh, a more impactful image. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, you know? and and be more directive of, of where, to your point, of where the viewer is <laughs> going to look. You know, with a wide yeah. angle, that's hard to do. Yeah. To really have a clear path for the viewer to viewer's yeah. eyes to follow, and so yeah. um, it's hard shooting with wide angles for sure. It's you know, challenging. Yeah, I choose my battles with an ultra-wide angle lens. That's a fact. <laughs> yeah, I do. You know what was funny? It, it, I just remembered a video that I saw a few months ago from a, a U.K. photographer. He went up on this hill and shot a wide ang- ultra-wide angle with a D850. And then he did this video about that. And then he said, you know what? I've got eight different images in this in this one frame. And he started cropping <laughs> eight different images out of this oh, one, my. one image. And it made me sick to my stomach. You know? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I purposely go out there, and I rarely crop. You know, the only time that my images are trimmed in post is to maybe straighten the horizon, and I'm mindful of that too. And so, uh, very rarely. I mean, you have you deal with different things like, uh, especially lens compression and things in certain situations that don't translate the same if you were to take that, uh, uh, that same composition and use the proper lens for it if that makes sense for sure for you know uh, be purposeful for those people that have listened to us i mean they know that they know jack's stance on cropping and and mine is pretty close around that where we don't really crop at all we choose the right lens well be mindful uh and purposeful in in when you're in the field when you're uh, creating your photograph, and be mindful of the composition when you're there. When you're in the field, that's the place to be, to to see and to capture that composition. To create that composition is in the field while you're there, not afterwards when you get home and you look through it and go, "Let me see what I can find." Get it uh, right know. in the camera. Uh, yeah, try try your darndest. You know, yeah. my uh, processing has simplified through the years because I'm no longer uh, trying to repair th- deficiencies in the in the photograph from not photographing it completely right out in the field. So if I'm not going through and trying to repair a bunch of stuff before I do my pro- post processing, 
then it, it makes things a heck of a lot easier. That's that, a fact. That's, so. a, that's a great point. I also think trying to get it right in camera is part of the artistry and part of the enjoyment that I get out of photography. Well, it's a part of mastering your gear. It's a part of mastering photography is to be purposeful and deliberate about how you go about what you do. Um, you know, so I'll give you a really good example. When I used to go out and I see a lot of people still doing this, they'll go out, they plant the tripod and they'll sit there and not move and just keep taking the same <laughs> photo over and over uh, during uh, the lighting conditions, right? When the sunset comes, all of a sudden they're just taking the same photo and they're yeah. messing with their settings. They're guessing, okay? If you no longer have to guess and you get out there and all of a sudden the conditions change and you are deliberate and you know what to do at that point during all of those uh, during that uh, uh those conditions during that sweet light you can probably get six different comps instead of that one for sure and so i'll go out there ahead of time and i'll make sure that i see at least a couple different compositions and then during the conditions when the conditions are right i already have these comps in mind i can get that shot i can make sure that i have the uh composition right the focus right and my exposure right and i can move on and then i can get another photograph you know i had a uh, an interview in the past where the interviewer asked me he says man you're so damn pro prolific you got all these images and i said well number one i do it full time and then second thing is that um when I'm out there and the time is right, there's going to be a good chance that I'll get, you know, at least two, maybe three or four different photographs in, you know, in one sunset, you know. So mm -hmm. does that makes sense, mm -hmm. you know? Oh, it does. Yeah. I mean, yeah. finding two or three comps is, I, I think it's something that, that I do subconsciously when I go out um, in mm -hmm. general. And I, and I think that helps you be more productive at each location. And, yeah. but, and but, but, you know, as you were saying that, it made me laugh a little bit because I was just thinking about the, the, uh, the scenario where, you know, a lot of people, first thing we, you know, we hop out of the car at a new location, run over to whatever it is we're going to shoot. And the first thing people do is plop their tripod down. And the minute <laughs> you pop your tripod down, you're stuck. You're anchored. Yeah. You're anchored. And, uh, and so we always try to, you know, counsel people to, you know, walk around before you put that damn tripod down because yeah. you're going to be stuck yeah. when you do. Maybe maybe take some test shots before the, the, the light is right. You yeah. don't want to be guessing or wondering or making mistakes when that light is just right, you know. You want to mm -hmm. be prepared for it. So, you know, so, you know, I guess my point is that uh, learning your camera and learning it thoroughly, including focusing, that seems to challenge people the most, understanding how to focus properly. And so if you've got everything and you've practiced and you're out there at the right time and you know what to do and, you, and it's all deliberate, then you're going to be a more productive and more satisfied photographer. So, And then your post-processing will be easier too because – you know, you're not trying to choose from one, you know a hundred different photos to see find out which one's the right one. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you on that. So I was. I let me ask you another kind of question. Um, I was looking at your website again, and and folks, I'll put a link to I'll put Gary's bio up and put a link to his website up on the wetalkphoto.com webpage. But uh, you you have a reference to the League of Landscape Photographers, which sounds like a uh, crime fighting <laughs> league. It's like the Justice League. <laughs> Talk to me about that. 
Well, I'm not real involved. I've been really uh, getting more into the uh, uh, spending a lot of, well, of course, with my own business. But the legal landscape photographers are basically a group of people that are trying to, you know, push ethics in landscape photography. And so just through awareness. So it's not a real, real big movement like it probably could be. But, you know, at least it's there and it sets some groundwork for a code of ethics and stuff like that. Which which I think is good. And I think, you know, a lot of the professional photographers that that run workshops are fairly good about about um, their ethics and not trampling the landscape. And and, and I think by and large, we're fairly good. But I think, you know, raising awareness of that amongst our own community, as well as to all of our clients and then all the crazy iPhone people beyond that, I think is is important. Yeah. Well, um, We had, you know, in, in the beginning of landscape photography, we kind of had the attitude, because there wasn't a whole lot of people out in these locations, we kind of had the attitude that maybe it's okay to kind of stroll across the, the field to get some photos off the path a little bit, because in the past, there wasn't that much traffic to be able to cause such a negative impact on that area. Well, as time passed, digital photography proliferated um instagram blew up uh all this stuff happened the amount of people going to these places uh increased exponentially yeah and so although people weren't uh trashing places deliberately you know with with that in you know mind people were perhaps saying well it won't hurt if i just do it or if I don't, you know, if I if it's just I'm just going to go across to here, it'll be fine, you know. But uh, in time, and, and I'm referring to locations out in the Columbia Gorge because that's my oh, my yeah. domain. Uh, there were pla- there were places that were stomped down, wildflowers stomped down because people aren't paying attention to what's behind them when they're trying to get a picture in front of, front of them. And so a lot of these places really started to get uh, become worn. And we're impacted really, really uh, severely. And so I kind of thought that what I should do is at least make some sort of a personal, you know, conviction to try to do what I personally could. I mean, what else could I do? You know, and I'm um, I'm not I'm nothing more than just a uh, a member of this this situation. I'm not a part of. um, developing it or anything like that, but any kind of a situation where I can, uh, that I can be a part of where I can raise the awareness of what we can do to try to limit the impact we have on this scenery that we photograph. I'm, I'm good with that, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah so if people too. come to me with a, with something that I feel is, is something good, then, um, I'll, I'll put it up, you know, I'll put it up, I'll support it and I'll spread the word about it. So, yeah. Nice. Nice. Well, that's good to hear. I think, I think we all need to, as as more and more people get out there to uh, enjoy the landscape that we're promoting, sometimes through our photography, I yeah. think it's critical that we all be good stewards of the land. And uh, you know, well, watching the watching the pathways, uh, like in Iceland, you know, way back when the path was maybe a foot wide, now yeah. it's now it's twenty feet wide, and it's well, graveled, my- and and it's just yeah, nuts. Yep, that's my point. Is that yeah. the um, the amount of num- people you know that are out on these areas has increased, and so you know human behavior hasn't changed. It's just the amount of people, you know. And the damn iPhone. 
Well, you know, the, yeah, you can, you can, you know, you could, uh, bad mouth the cell phone photographers and stuff like that. But, um, really the, I think the only difference between that mentality and the mentality that we have is that, and not all, uh, uh iPhone photographers are, are no. this way. It's just that we, we're landscape photographers and it's a part of our life. And so we read blog posts and we read news articles that are focused on preservation as well as, um, how photography has been impacting the area. And so we have this awareness where these people are taking snapshots really. And so they're not a lot different than what we were before we got into photography and we had our, our point and shoot cameras, you know, or brownies and stuff going out yeah. there and taking photos and stuff. And so it's just a matter of awareness, but I think that the cell phone, um, is a great place to start in photography. Oh, it is. And it's, it's a fantastic capable where, camera. Yeah. You never know where it'll lead either. And so, uh, hopefully the, um, the cell phone photographers, uh, uh, you know, follow the segue into an awareness, you know, that will help them understand, you know, so it's the masses, you know, people want to blame Instagram and stuff. It's just, it's just a matter of people, you know, and you're going to have some people that are going to be aware and you're going to have some that aren't. I mean, look at the poppy fields in Southern California with people wandering around and laying in them and things. How can they under think that that wouldn't affect those flowers, you know? Or the, but, tulip, or the tulip fields in Oregon that, that sometimes yeah. get hostile. Yeah. You know, people just go, well, it's, it's just the outside. It's just the outdoors. It'll all grow back. What's the problem, you know? But yeah. I don't know. Well, you know, so, and I'm not some some extremist, you know, but I just want some common sense and courtesy and, you know, yeah. for other people, you know? Yep, we all have to share the world for sure. Yeah, we we're, we're all in this together, so let's work <laughs> somehow work together here. Speaking you know? of that, that's kind of a, a segue. How you, you this is a little bit topical, but how are you hanging in with this uh, lockdown that we're experiencing? Well, I'm fortunate. Like I said, I live up in the up in the woods, and so I've got a couple neighbors around me, but I don't live in in a, a city or a, a town or a neighborhood. Um like that so i actually have a trail <clears throat> behind my house that takes me down to the sandy river so i have a nice peaceful area that i can wander around in without even seeing anybody so uh, a walk around the block for me if i were in the na- in a neighborhood in town would be around a block you know and a uh, walk around the block for me would be to go down the road and hit the trail and go down to the river and then come back home so yep, I'm doing pretty good as far as that's concerned, as far as business is concerned. Uh, it's rough, but, you know, you just keep swinging, man. You just figure out <laughs> what the heck is the new normal and try to adapt to it and figure out what the heck to do next. Because um, I had a, a Chris Byrne. Um, you're probably aware of Chris Byrne. Chris is yeah. a, another excellent photographer, and he's uh, in my area. Him and I uh, had a workshop planned for the Columbia River Gorge in April uh, this month. As a matter of fact, what's today? It was tomorrow to start, and it's it's been canceled or at least postponed until October uh, during the uh, fall colors. And so, you know, we've had to issue refunds um, and also try to figure out how to – uh, maybe reschedule uh, without knowing 
when this is even going to end. Um, and then just just get up every day and just work. I mean, we're all at home here. Uh, if you're a photographer and understand that you have to market, then gosh, you know, you got all kinds of things to do. It's a it's a great time. Yeah, I, yeah. I had to cancel all of my workshops. You know, had, you have uh, promotional things to do. Oh, go ahead. What's that, John? Oh, I was going to say I had yeah. to cancel. No, I was going to say I, cancel all of my workshops, including I was supposed to go to China this month. Believe it or not, yeah. um, and then this pandemic hit, and of course uh, had to cancel that workshop. And but you're yeah. right, it's staying home and it's doing all the work. And and you know, there's a million things yeah. that we as photographers can do. Whether you're yeah. a professional or an amateur, it doesn't matter. There's a ton of basic things that you can do during this time to stay busy. Well, even if you're not exactly, if, even if you're not in this as a professional, uh, where you're uh, doing this full time. Um, you know, you have other things that you could be doing with your photography that'll allow you, you know, to be able to to make hay while you're sitting at the house during this social situation here, you know, the social distancing situation. But I put a uh, um, a blog post up on my website that uh, gives uh, a, what, six things to do while you're yeah six things. Yeah. Six, six things a photographer can do while social distancing, you know, and they're basically uh, clean your camera sensor, um, clean and adjust your tripod, calibrate your monitor, organize and back up files, clean cards and charge batteries, you know, or learn, just learn something new. You know, there's a lot of uh, videos on YouTube, good and bad. But uh, think of something that you're, you know, lacking in that you feel you're lacking in your photography, and then uh, go in and uh, try to figure out, uh, find a video and learn, you know, or try a different form of photography. If you're a landscaper or a portraiture, go out in your front yard. The flowers are starting to bloom. Find a flower and practice some macro photography or mm-hmm. something. So you know, there's no I- reason for anybody to feel bored. Uh, there's plenty of uh, reason for people to feel. Uh, stressed and fearful, Anxious, apprehensive, yeah. all of this stuff. But if you stay busy, it's it it will help displace those feelings. Yeah, and so, for sure, I put, yeah. I put a blog post up. So and, I, I think and the, that and the same thing, you know, just to touch on a couple of your points. I think two yeah. of the two of our points that are similar was was backing up and backing up your images and cleaning up a lot yeah. of your images is a one great thing to do that we never seem to have enough time for. Number two. I, for me, which was most important is learn something new. I'm, yeah. you know, I'm stuck in the office for eight hours a day, but yeah. I do devote a couple hours a day to learning, yeah. um, whether that's marketing, creative design, um, yeah. uh, photographic technique. I'm a constant learner. And that's the yeah. one thing that's, yeah. that's keeping me going. That I am too. Uh, I mean, I, uh, I love to learn new things. I don't, I'm not satisfied, not progressing somehow and the beauty of photography is that you can live 10 lifetimes and still learn something new yeah. I, that's how i feel so for sure you know. well let me let me lay on my uh, my coronavirus joke for you even though it's not a joke <laughs> it's not a joking matter so don't get me wrong but yeah, i laughed I a little bit the other night so you know i'm i'm stuck inside and i do live in the city and so my walks are fraught with meeting people and other dogs and all this crap and it's kind of annoying and and going a little bit stir crazy inside the house and and the other day i uh 
I found myself uh, talking to a spider that was on the wall in the house. And, you know, honestly, it, it wasn't a bad guy. You know, we had a great conversation. I learned that, uh, I learned that the, he's a web designer. Was his name Boris? <laughs> so that's my, that's my spider going crazy inside joke. Oh, awesome. got me to laugh. That's awesome. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> Send them to my house. I need a little help with my uh, my web design. So <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. I just uh, just got my website uh-huh. launched a little bit ago. Again, a, a revamp, and oh. it's a ton of work. It's a ton. It of really work. is. It really is. And um, you know, I feel that uh, you know that a person really needs to keep it keep it updated. You know, you have to update your website, yeah. and every now and then we just. It seems like the protocol uh, for web design is progressing, and so if you don't keep up with it, then your website is outdated. And it's just you know, sure. you know. So let, let me ask you, Gary. What? It's kind of a generic, open-ended question, so answer it however you want. But where? You know, yes, you do this for a living, but you're still very much a, a photographer at heart and, and are motivated and inspired by visual imagery. And what is it, what is it really that inspires you um, in, in your creation of images? What inspire inspires me, what motivates me or inspires me? Uh, Either way. Well, I'm, I'm motivated by the need to create, um, and to be creative and I'm an artist at heart. And so even if I had a million dollars, I, you know, I'm not that my main motivation is to create, create art. Uh, you know, it's, that's one reason why I may not be the best businessman around because I don't concentrate as much of my creative energy towards, uh, the business side of it. My motivation is to, to be a part of, the scenes that I photograph and to be able to capture them in the most beautiful way that I can. And so all my life I've been a, uh, an artist I've drawn, I've painted, I've, I've sculpted stone. I've, uh, tried to come up with different creative outlets for my creative energy, my artistic energy, because it's, I get, I get frustrated. It's like a, uh, like, I imagine how I don't smoke cigarettes. And so I imagine if somebody really enjoyed cigarettes and you took them away, it's a really, you get this with feeling of of frustration (laughs) because you don't have it or something. I feel the same way about photography. And so if I'm not creating, I have this frustrated energy that builds up inside of me. And so it's an outlet for me to be able to satisfy that creative urge. And so um, photography for me, I'm also uh, have a short attention span, relatively short attention span. And so uh, I would paint a picture and I would never, never finish it. I would never be satisfied with it. And then it would just go in a trash bin. Well, the first time I discovered that I could be this almost the same kind of creative with photography. Uh, it just took off, you know, it really took off with me. My motivation is the art. It's the, it's the art. I'm not a documentarian. Uh, I'm not doing this, uh, for any other reason than to satisfy a creative urge and to create art. So, yeah. 
Nice. Does that make does that answer your question it, at all? It does. It does. And you know, I I leave it pretty open-ended for people to to answer how you want and uh, you know, and kind of along that lines, I mean, you know, thinking of art or digital art versus photography, how, where would you say that you're processing how how do you like to process images? Uh, when I first started, I felt that you had to process as much as you could. In other words, you had to process, you had to use all these complicated processes and you had to create something that, I don't know how to describe it, but it was a little bit over the top. You know, we had yep. uh, the saturation sliders and contrasts and all this other stuff. And of course we didn't have, you know, luminosity masks or Orton effects and things like this when we first started. This stuff has all been developed afterwards, right? But um, the uh, uh, what was the question? <laughs> well, your 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 philosophy around processing, and you know, there's that yeah. continuum oh, yeah, yeah. between okay, documentary me... and digital art. Got it. Okay. Um, and so when I first started, I felt that you know you. The photography was 10% processing with 90% when I first discovered processing. As time has progressed, those numbers have shifted. And so the photos that I do, I try to make them as realistic as possible, but with an artistic touch. Does that make sense? It does. And so I... Although my photos seem ethereal at times, they are un, unreal. I mean, how in the world did you find that? Chances are that scene as it was photographed was how, how it was. Um, and so my, my processing has been simplified greatly, but yet the work that I do with my camera has in, increased. Yep. So. I, I've, I'm very much the same way. I've found that I've really toned back a lot of my process and, and just trying to get it as right as possible in camera and yep. then just get my processing back to the point to what I saw and how yep. I and try to evoke those same emotions yep. in my viewers that I felt when I was there. And Well, you're interpreting that scene at that point for the viewer. Yeah. So yeah. you had your emotions to a, a real scene. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. You know, so you, you try to translate it into how you felt in addition to what you saw. Yeah. And, our, you know, you know so you're, as, you're, as we all know, our camera can only capture a certain percentage yeah. of what our eyes see. Yeah. And so part of that processing is bringing some of that stuff back, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, as you said. It's over-the-top processing lately. I mean, the last five oh. years, but yeah, I can't. I can't look at 500 px anymore because it's all just digital art. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no, can't. it's hard. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, the last I was talking. I, uh, I was talking uh, yesterday with a, a group of photographers. We had a, uh, a web conference thing going on, and it was a lot of fun. And I think we're going to be seeing more of that in the future. Yep. But um, yep. I was talking about processing, and I had made the point that when I first started, I, I really was doing a lot of processing to repair photographs. And so I don't have to do that anymore. You know? Yeah. That's a great point. Great point. Well, so, uh, you, you know, as you said, you're postponing all your workshops as am I, um, are you, you, is your Alaska workshop on or off? 
it's still on because it's in August, and uh, we're really, really hoping that we can pull that one off. Uh, so this is April, May, June, July, August, and I mean, if another three or four months, if we're still in social isolations, we're still in social isolation in August. We're going to be in an odd situation. Yeah. So you know, I'm really hoping that somehow we'll be able to adapt, even if there are still a potential for the coronavirus in August. Is certainly, I'm hoping that it won't be as. Uh, severe, and we will be able to adapt by perhaps using sand sanitizers and all this new normal. You know, if we can adapt, well, our society is going to have to figure out how to adapt to this new situation. And I think one way to adapt to it is to eventually, to number one, minimize the risk. The social isolation, I don't think, is a some sort of a thing to control. You know. I'm not even going to go there. I think this is just kind of a responsible thing to do right now, right? Yep. And so in August, we get to that far out, we're going to have to face the fact that we have to either deal with this and learn to live with it or uh, or, or spend the rest of our lives in our offices here. So I'm really hoping that we'll be able to uh, address anything that will keep us from having our uh, workshop in Alaska. So right now we're on. Everything's good. Um, we have sign-ups. Uh, we have a couple of seats left. I'd like to get some people signed up for that. I uh, uh, We're going to be out shooting grizzly bears and all kinds of stuff on the Kenai Peninsula, and it's just going to be a blast. And we're going to go out in the Prince William Sound on a on a boat and photograph uh, ocean or um, tidewater glaciers and black bears and all kinds of stuff, you know. So, yeah, the Alaska trip is just one I just don't want to. I don't want to delay it, you know. It's just such a great, great trip that uh, I really. That's a magical place to go. I, th- yeah. This year, we're taking a hiatus from from our bear workshop, but uh, yeah. you know, I love visiting that state. It's it's yeah. just such an incredible landscape and, and the flora and the fauna there. Uh, so good luck in that one. I, I appreciate it, John. Because uh, but we're going to do the best that we can just to keep pushing through and try to be as safe and responsible as we can. You know. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. the best way to go. So, yeah. folks, I think with that, um, we'll start to kind of wrap it up. So if you guys want to, I highly encourage you to go check out Gary's website. It's at gary-randall.com. Uh, and, again, I'll post links to it on our webpage. Um, he's got a great array of workshops that he'll be offering up coming up this fall, um, late late summer and fall. Um um, oh yeah. Also, John, we're, I'm going to be putting uh, my 2021 schedule up. Usually, I wait until mid mid season, but this year I'm going to get it up early. I think people are going to want to really uh, get out there in 2021 and make hay and make up for 2020. So, <laughs> Agreed. Right. Yeah, I just got mine posted uh, about two weeks ago, just for that same reason. I, we got to start yeah. looking ahead earlier than we normally yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll survive. Do, you know, Gary, I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been having you, man. It's been too long since we've uh, had a conversation <laughs> or seen each other, so I really appreciate it, man. Oh, man. I, I appreciate you having me, John. You know, you're a good guy. Uh, we're good good friends. I consider yeah. you one of my friends. And so, yeah, it's a shame that we haven't been out uh, recently. So I know. Yeah. i got to kick it up. When we get lifted, man, I'm coming up to the mountain. And, uh, do it. We're going to go have some fun. Do it. Do it. 
All right, bud. Well, uh, thank you, Gary, for being here, folks. Thanks for listening. Again, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, um, uh, wetalkphoto at gmail.com is our email address. Visit our website, uh, wetalkphoto at gmail.com. If you're getting this through one of the um, podcast subscription services, you know, give us a like, give us a, give us a review if you want. We welcome any and all feedback and ideas that you have for our podcast. And uh, with that, I'll say see you next time. And thanks again to Gary. Bye, Gary. Thank you, John. Keep shooting, buddy. All right, we'll do. All right, bye-bye, folks. <laughs>